the future of photography. Exploring the ways new technology can help you make fantastic photos. The future of photography, we're back with episode three. We're still finding our way around this funny podcasting thing, but I think we'll be doing fine. Um, I'm Chris, and you are? And I'm Aid. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, we are, you're right, we're still finding our way around this, but there is a benefit this time, is that actually we've made it home from our travels, and so we have now both the luxury of us, both of us, the luxury of recording from our homes, uh, which is nice, although it's, uh, it's a bit different not being face-to-face, of course. It is, but uh, yeah, let's see how that changes the dynamics of this show. Um at this point, we are all settled in with uh, with our own domain, our own intro. Um, music by Peter, my brother. <laughs> this is a little family production. Um, voiceover is by George, who's a who has done some voiceovers for other things that I've done before. So he's a he's great. I like him. And yeah, we are talking about the future of photography. Uh, we have for now decided to pick a topic per episode like one topic that we want to talk about and well again this show is about what is what is coming up in photography what are the developments that take us into well onto the next level into the future into Into the future future. (laughs) (laughs) you know and and, uh, because we should also probably give a a little shout out to the dism logo now it is awesome, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody I've showed it to has loved it and laughed. And uh, for those, uh, I guess, uh, for listeners who who are appreciating this particular show, you'll have seen the logo by now. Um, you know, our little robot with the camera head. Um, uh, when I saw that, uh, it made me laugh, and I just thought that is so right for what we're trying to talk about here. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's let's look at one thing that uh, I came across. Well, a couple of months ago, but I haven't seen it in any products yet, but it is definitely something that I think is interesting. And uh, it has to do with focal lengths, with zooming. And... Um this is something close to my heart, actually. I was really glad when you when you uh, hit upon this topic. Um, it's uh, it, it's something that really I feel as a photographer, often based around sensor size, because you know I have little tiny you know point and shoot tough cameras, you know that 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 are great for throwing in the water, um, but the, you know they they have one way of rendering distance between subjects, you know, and then I have right the way up to my medium format cameras, which have an entirely different way. Um, and I always say I love my medium format cameras because they have this sort of both the compression of a longer focal length and they have the breadth of uh, something much, much wider. So that actually is um, is something that I'm really keen to see about in this topic uh, that you, you've uh, I believe I believe that what we've settled on is that you're going to uh, be describing some of these things to to me today. And I'm going to ask uh, the, the questions that um, that arise from that. And then we take turns for the next episode. Yes. So yes. it'd be so, a bit dull if it was just you teaching me. No, that <laughs> Although be, I'd be very grateful. <laughs> that that would be that would be boring. Um, no, I've 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 found this. Okay, so let's talk about focal lengths for a second first. Um, and I think everyone knows if if you if you put on a telephoto lens, you get a very very small angle of view, and that 
results in you having to step back to still get your focus in the frame, uh, your, your subject in the frame. And then that means that the background and the subject are kind of close together. And the more telephoto you go, the closer it, it feels they are together in the photo. Um, and if you go wide angle, you have to get, get up closer to your subject, which changes the relative distance between your subject and its background and makes it feel much deeper, much further apart. So, um, wide angle, uh, kind of stretches that depth uh, or the way that we see depth. Yeah, I mean, I, wide, wide angle, I always like uh, for, for in the background. So if you imagine you're in Paris and you want to take a photograph of your significant other, but you want the whole of the Eiffel Tower in the background, you need to squish that to be quite small. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the other way around. I remember... Um, the, get a very tall girlfriend. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember I was um, years ago um, when we did our first photo tours, uh, one was to to Nepal and to Mount Everest, not the top, just the bottom of it. But um, we wanted that photo of the three of us who organized that tour with Mount Everest in the background. And of course, what's your first thought? Oh, let's take wide angle. It will show the whole width and breadth of the scene. And we ended up having us in the frame in the front and Mount Everest kind of being so tiny in the background that it was hardly <laughs> to see it was hardly visible and that well oh, by the way that was not true it was not from nepal because you can't really just see the mount everest from the bottom uh it was on the tibetan side where you can and so we we had to change the focal length and get the photographer further away from us and zoom in again and then mount everest would be relative to us would be bigger so that's the big problem that photographers face they have uh, different distances and that kind of dictates the focal length and that dictates how depth is uh, is in the photo. And now some people from the University of California, Santa Barbara have come up with a method to circumvent that. And <laughs> what these guys have done or these guys and girls have done is something they call computational zoom. So they're taking a scene that is taken with a wide angle, but they have found a way to still make the background come closer. See, that sounds really interesting to me. That, it is. Uh, yeah, that, that would give us so much more power over how we shoot. So whoever listens to this and wants to watch along, we have a link in the show notes to the, to the paper, and it has some examples and a video and example images. So what they are doing is um, they're doing something that is quite similar to other methods where you add multiple photos into one. Uh, one specific that comes to mind here is, is called focus stacking that has been around for a long time. Um, the macro photographers are known to use that. They will take photos of something very close up at different at different focus points because you, you're fighting shallow depth of field and then in the first photo, something is sharp. And then the second photo, something else is sharp and so on. And then they have some software to combine that into a photo that is sharp throughout. And what these guys here are doing is they take multiple photos at multiple distances and focal lengths. So it's, an, it's another one of these approaches where you have to uh, combine photos, several photos. It's not just a single photo. But then their software 
takes those different depths somehow i'm again this is this is high this is very 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 difficult math i guess uh takes this apart and reassembles it and in a way that the foreground is now from a different set of photos than the background so you can have the foreground being uh being from something that is like a 16 millimeter focal length and the background from something that's like a 105 millimeter focal length that's so that that's okay so so the effect of that then if i understand this correctly is that you could have your subject yeah let's say it's a, a, a photograph of a person in, in you know nice and nicely framed and and a good size in your frame as well um and then you could have some things that are nearer and around that subject as a at a suitable size but also the interesting things in the background you could using this this approach you could make bigger so that they became a feature rather than being a long way off in the distance and really tiny that is pretty much what they're doing so there's a there's one example where there are two people standing in the foreground um they are framed with a with a short focal length with a wide angle lens and then there's a church in the background and on the short focal length uh, photo that background that church pretty much disappears into the background very very tiny and then they they manage to kind of move that church closer in the photo without changing the foreground part of it that's that's, that's weird it's crazy it looks <laughs> it looks very crazy now i thought this can never work but the examples that i've seen here all look they look they, they don't look funny they look like they that's the way it should be in the photo do you, do you know what this reminds me of and i may get the i'll probably get the reference wrong here um do you remember the the david hockney collages uh, so this this goes back to the the 60s and the 70s and i think some of them were done with polaroids but not all of them but he took um uh, oh yeah imagine, i've seen them i see them here yeah yeah. So if you so so for, uh, if you imagine uh, many photographs, you know, from more or less the same position of the same subject, but put together, uh, all of them sort of, uh, you know, just taking a small proportion of the subject, and that then gives you the opportunity to make some things bigger and and smaller. Um, yeah, that was done as a, as a, uh, and of course this doesn't look like that because what we're talking about here today with the computational zoom, it, it is seamless. The it's seamless ones are like, like like different tiles, but the those are seamless now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting one image that's stitched together in software where, where you you can't see the joins. Um, and yeah, okay, when you see a before and after example, uh, we have a link in the show notes to a particular before and example, and after example, as you said, with the church. Um, that actually, you know, the after example doesn't look bad. It just looks strange when it's put next to the before. It only looks strange when you know what's been done. It doesn't look bad. It looks quite good, actually, I think. Well, the, the examples here look, if I only saw the after photo, it would be just perfect. It would be fine. I wouldn't even notice that something is, has been done to this photo. Um, so what does that mean for the future of photography? Is that something you, you see appearing in cameras anytime soon? Uh, we, we have, we have, we have these, these multiple photos into one features in many cameras now. HDR is in some cameras now. Smartphones have it pretty much built in, but there are also other cameras uh, like like mirrorless cameras and some DSLRs that take multiple photos and then make an HDR out of that. So that is in the cameras. There is uh, a panorama stitching, again, another method that takes multiple photos and puts them into one. Um, do, you th do you see this coming into cameras anytime soon? 
into cameras that's a tricky question apps yeah absolutely um it looks to me from some of these examples that the, you need to give the the software as it currently exists some something to work on so the either a um a clear differentiation between things that are far away and things that are close so that it you know it could find the edges as it were uh, or uh, something maybe you know vertical it can use as a border and that you know it, then then it can have sort of a different image the other side of the border um so i think it looks like it's one of those things where it would work in uh specific circumstances in a controlled right environment pretty yeah much, i mean yeah. don't get me wrong it's nonetheless amazing for somewhere um and uh, this looks like it's pretty awesome stuff um but i you know i think you, you know we you and i've talked about this a, a bit chris now but uh, um a lot of the computational power is not in um cameras that you buy um it's in computers and tablets and phones um so my expectation would you know at some point it would be we'd see this come through in in a phone maybe i mean we've talked about depth on, on this show already um and uh you know the last week i think it was the, the previous show we talked about depth and, and and how the you know phones now have sensors that they can calculate depth this seems to be to me uh, a natural extension to using that information um, I think that could work quite well. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it, it it might not be far away if we're lucky. Well, I I I think I think it's definitely viable to get this into phones sooner or later. I don't think it's going to be sooner though, because the the currently existing methods for um, combining multiple photos are all are all around taking those photos from from a single location. So for HDR, you just don't move the camera and it goes internally, goes click, click, click and takes multiple photos and uh, puts those together with very little correction uh, necessary. The, the panorama stitching, again, pretty much from one point, you just sweep the camera and it takes multiple shots or you sweep the camera and it just does its thing like in smartphones where you don't even have individual pictures anymore. At least it doesn't feel like that. Um, here, you'll have to really be along a path and move and change the focal length at the same time, which is uh, which is more involved and probably not as yeah as mass compatible i know a lot of people who <laughs> wouldn't trust to do this <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point i mean you, you, so, your, your point is well made it's it not might often. it might be off but i think i think there is a, there is application in again in controlled environments maybe in filmmaking maybe in stage charts of some sort i wouldn't see this in snapshots uh, anytime soon but it is an is a fascinating technology and it's a, it's a wonderful demonstration what you can do to multiple pictures and, and combining them into one. So this is interesting because you and I have intuited different applications yep. or different <laughs> early applications for this. So, you know, uh, I, but I isn't, isn't it like the, that? which one of us will be proved right over time. Isn't it you like know, that? You, the, the biggest car advancements are always in Formula One first and the, the kind of the, the control, the bigger industrial kind of things. And they, they will only trickle down to to the masses over time i think well yeah that that i i mean you're right clearly in cars you know you see uh, and uh you know racing does feed into production cars doesn't it always has done um i but the thing about 
this for me well time you're right um you made a good point that i don't actually carry a tripod to take phone snapshots right Right. (laughs) i'm not a tripod lover at the best of times i'm certainly not going to carry one around for this um would it be would it be possible to achieve something of this effect with the new modern phones that have two lenses in them possibly possibly but maybe not necessarily um oh you you mean like take take in one wide angle one telephoto shot because that's how the lenses might be set up which well, they yeah. are in, in the in the bigger iPhones. Yeah, and not just iPhones nowadays either. You know, other manufacturers as well. So yeah, I think. Um, but but you're right. You need to be you need to be steady, don't you? You need to work it out and align things. So is uh, okay. Well, you know, time will tell. I suppose this is the wonderful thing about having a, a, a podcast about the future, <laughs> isn't it? We can, we, can we can only speculate. We, like. <laughs> we we can. Well, well you I was know, going to go. I was going to go even further than that. I said, you know, in some ways, it doesn't matter what we say on this show, does it? Which is a glorious luxury. Well, and it, it, I will. Okay, let let let's do something. Um, in a few years, I assume this show will still be around. We are going to look back at some of these, well, guesses and predictions that we make and see how they developed. Actually, there, we've got a really. This could. This could be a lot of fun, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this could be very embarrassing too. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, we've got to be. We've got to be prepared to fail, haven't we? I think on this one. So yeah, I think okay. So we, uh, good point about about the the usage in movies um, uh, and being able to create interesting things. There, I guess that when when you talk about your applications in in filmmaking or in TV, I'm thinking about you know the traditional dolly zoom kind of effects. Uh, yep. You you change the zoom on a shot at the same time as moving the camera so I think it looks alfred hitchcock um, popularized that yes good yes um yeah good good uh, good example um yeah where the, where actually the subject seems to stay still but all of the stuff changes size around the subject because you're moving the camera at the same time that you're zooming and uh, very weird effect dolly zoomed uh, go, look look that up on youtube there are yeah. plenty of examples there anybody who likes thrillers and horror movies will know what we're talking about <laughs> So, so how? What do you think? What, what would that do to to the creative side? I mean, this this opens up possibilities, and I'm not sure. Does it take skill out of the shooting in any way? Probably, probably moves some of the skill uh, from from framing a shot into setting up a shot that can then later be easily manipulated. Well, do you know what I think? When I get hold of these new toys. Um, I find it's a bit of both Um, and there's a bit for me which is about the shooting because I I then I then look for opportunities specifically and see things and and, you know I look I see things in a different way and I and I I aim to capture I, I attempt to capture different types of images when I get these new toys to play with um and you know so i think for me personally there'd definitely be an impact on the way that i shoot uh, and a favorable one because it'll get me thinking it'll get me being more creative and and what have you and yes i will absolutely fail at the first hundred shots i take <laughs> but that's the point isn't it you know you learn and you get creative and then eventually you get results so i think there'd be that too because you have to shoot with these things in mind um, and then i think there'd be the learning about how to to do the well i guess it would be post 
um, uh, post-processing, wouldn't it, in whatever environment you use, whether that's on a big computer just, or on just a Just imagine device. Lightroom or whatever software you will be using then. Uh, now now it has the sliders for, for the shadows and the highlights and, and you take a picture with or maybe even an HDR and then your shadow slide, you just slide that up to get more light into the dark parts of the picture. Uh, just imagine that, that additional set of sliders for um, background closeness and foreground closeness, and you just slide the background and it slides in and it, it becomes bigger in the shot without that, destroying that the shot. Is, that, is, that, is, that is scary. It, it is. It Much is. less, even less trust in, in, the re, in the reality of photos. So I, can I, God, you, you've seen further into the future than I have there. Um, I'm not sure that I see this as a set of sliders. I was, in my mind, I had more sort of, you know, slicing and um, and dicing a picture into layers in a, in a Photoshop or Affinity well, kind of you environment. Have a, you, have a, you have a, you have a, you have a two-step process. Now, nowadays in Lightroom, if you do an HDR, you have multiple photos at different exposures. You throw them in, you tell it, make, make this an HDR, and then it, combines them the the dynamic the combined dynamic range of three or five exposures and then and then the sliders in the shadow the highlight the exposure sliders now all of a sudden have like 10 times the range they had before so you can now slide um, you you can now brighten up the dark parts of the photo without introducing too much noise because it takes it from a different part of that that bigger dynamic range. And it does that intelligently. Does it? I don't shoot HDR. It so, does that um, intelligent. That's the interesting thing. It does that intelligently. So you, you, uh, you have a, I don't even know, the sliders normally go from, I don't know, plus five to minus five. And now they go from plus 10 to minus 10. And it's a logarithmic scale, as I, as I, uh, I think. So you have this, this immense range now in which you can, manipulate the the brightness the exposure in different parts of the image so if you have a sky that's too bright now it's fairly if 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 you gave it good source material that's the that's the crucial part now you have to give it good source material but now you can bring the sky back like almost to night because it is it, there's so much information in there now that, that is interesting of course i would want my faders to go to 11 10 is nowhere near enough well okay but it is it is really um it has two sides and this is where we might i don't think we have to dip deep into the philosophical side of things now but um this is this is where where you have so many possibilities all of a sudden that it it's debatable if that makes you a better photographer because you're you're moving all the decisions about the photo to a later point in time makes it easier to just shoot and then um, and then fix it later. But that, of course, moves that entire pile of work into the future, uh, which might which might psychologically not be good for you because now you're always in front of that big wall of stuff that you still have to dig through. That is tough. Uh, yeah, that's that's I, a com- completely different discussion. And uh, we, sh- we should do this one day here. Um, definitely brings in thoughts about shooting film and stuff. But... Well, there's there's that, but regardless of the getting through the post processing quickly, I can do the culling quite quickly. That I'm, might I'm, I'm be why you love days. film photography, and that's why I love film photography because there is not much post processing going on. It's well, already that's, done in the camera most of it. That's true. That is true. Um, anyway, that's uh, or at that's, least by the lab. Anyway, yes. Anyway, I think this episode should be about the amazing possibilities of what might be ahead of us. Okay, and computational so, zoom is definitely uh, is 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 possibly one of those things in the future. 
Yeah, and yeah, and and if we get to a point in a few years' time where I have a, a little app on my phone or my or, or my tablet, and you know, using my finger, I, I I make a sort of a quick selection of of something, and then say I want that to be bigger in the frame or smaller in the frame, and then the app finds the boundaries that make sense, um, uh, and I can play around with that. That's you know, that could be really quite um, quite amazing. Anyway, I guess that's. All will <laughs> we can speculate on where this is going. Um, computational zoom. That was it for this episode of the future of photography. And uh, well, let's explore more in the next episode. Sounds good to me. All right, take care. Bye. You've been listening to the future of photography. A production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Hold up. 